Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cana Rinse Podcast, Volume 5, Issue 237. tell you, you can play along with us, as many of our listeners nowadays do, and enjoy keeping up with the show contemporaneously. And uh, next up we have Grand Theft Auto 5. You may have played it already. Uh, But we're also going to talk about GTA Online. There's recently been, as there has been for the last two or three years, uh, substantial updates, but uh, I do recommend that you check out the Cunning Stunts uh, stuff that's recently been added to the online component, particularly if you were a fan of Jeff Crammon's stunt car racer on the Amiga back in the day. Following that, we return to our series covering every Legend of Zelda game in the main series anyway, and we are up to the Minish Cap on the GBA from the early mid-2000s. Following that, it'll be Swery's D4 Dark Dreams Don't Die on the Xbox One, and I think, did that come to PC? Yes. Yes, it did. Okay, good. Uh, But the subsequent episodes have yet to appear. Following that, Ryan will be your host for a Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Core Series podcast. And after that, a complete change of tone and pace with Alien Isolation. Head to caneandrince.com. That's the address for articles, features, reviews, and links to everything else we do, including our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our friendly, busy, intelligent, and lovely forum. And if you enjoy what we do, all this stuff, the hours of podcasting, and all the extra content and community stuff, you can support us. You could donate a dollar a month or whatever you think uh, to our Patreon. It's just a virtual tips jar. There's no content for subscribers only or anything like that. If, If you don't wish to or aren't able to contribute, everything that we produce will continue to be free and available for all. Uh, if you don't want to just give us money for nothing, uh, you can buy a t-shirt or a bag featuring our Cane and Rinse or Sound of Play logos from our uh, spreadshirt.co.uk store. Yes, Sound of Play, that's our other podcast, uh, which we feature nine tracks usually in most shows of video game music requested by the community and ourselves, uh, as well as the occasional themed special. We had a Zelda one. Uh, a little while back and we have a Donkey Kong one coming up 
So please review both of our podcasts and rate them and subscribe to them on uh, that iTunes thing or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn or wherever else you get them from. Thank you. So joining me, Neon Cox in issue 237, are Ryan Heyman. Hello. And returning guest, always lovely to have him on board, Dan Clark. And it's lovely to be back again. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, so this one is Outrun 1986. We're mainly talking about. We're also going to talk about the various conversions and ports. Probably spend a little bit of extra time on the 3D version as it's the most recent and widely available. Uh, and we're also going to talk a little bit about the game's uh, legacy and successors. But as I've said before, uh, Outrun 2 and SP and 2006 and Online Arcade will be covered at a future date in a separate podcast to be announced. Uh, so, really focusing on the original Outrun, Dan, uh, do you remember it hitting the arcades back in 1986? And uh, which versions have you played over the years? Uh, well, yeah, I would have been, uh, I think, seven or eight when it hit the arcades. And um, it was one of those things where I don't think I'd seen it since Dragon's Lair, where people were crowding around a cabinet in the arcades um, mm. like, uh, of all ages as well like sort of um, parents and grandparents and children and, uh, and all sorts just crowding around watching whoever was playing I think it was um, a real sort of technical mark. it was like Sega showboating wasn't it like a real something that we'd really never seen before and just the sound and the light and it's one of those moments where um, we think it all the time where you think graphics will never get better than this but that was one of those yeah. moments for me where my mind remembers it as being photorealistic and looking at it now of course it isn't <laughs> but um, I'd never seen anything quite as smooth and fast and uh, and as bright and colourful, I don't think before. Yeah. And then I've, I've played a um, myriad versions since, which we'll obviously get onto. But yeah, the arcade yes. one uh, as a child was um, yeah a joy to behold. It really did. Um, it I don't know. It was like a a game changer for how I saw arcades and it, the fact that it moved up with the hydraulics and everything was um, yeah just such an impactful moment walking into an arcade and seeing it yeah we've got uh, we've got the uh, the arcade flyer on our show notes here and I'm remembering the because there were three different models a super deluxe one which like fully moved about uh, a medium sit down one which had some movement and then there was the, the stand up but even the stand up cab had a massively force feedback steering wheel which uh, which wrestled against you as you went round corners and stuff so even if your local arcade only had room more money for the for the stand-up cab uh that was uh, even that was a was a treat now this uh, i don't know how many times this has happened uh, so far on kana rinse i'm thinking maybe josh on some of the super mario maybe the early super mario games if he was on that one but uh ryan you weren't even born when out one came out <laughs> uh yeah i suppose that's true for some years uh at that uh you're a you're a 90s kid just about I am a 90 kid, so this would have kid, uh, yeah. four years on me. Well, three yeah. and like a quarter, maybe. So uh, something intrigued you about us covering this, did it? Uh, or, or have you got some history with this game? Uh, no, this was just one that I said that I was you know, willing to cover if it ever came around. And um, yeah, I was put onto this podcast and I downloaded the 3DS version. And uh, that is the first and last version of this game that I've played. Right. So yeah, <laughs> I, I start with the most recent entry. Yeah, really interesting perspective. Uh, sometimes we get this, sometimes we don't. I have no idea what you think about it, really. Uh, so mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to discover as we go along. Uh, I know you've also been dabbling with some of the game's uh, successors, so we'll talk about those later. You may have played more of those than I have in some cases, so that's okay. fine. Um, yeah, well, fascinating. I remember OutRun arriving. I don't have quite as clear and distinct a memory as when I first saw certain arcade cabinets. Um, 
the the moment I've mentioned it more on more than one podcast before, but when the Brighton Palace Pier, as was then, first got uh, its twin deluxe Space Harrier set up and put those front and centre as you walked into the, the main area of the pier was one of those moments that properly, you know, blew me away. My jaw dropped. So when I did, whenever I did first see OutRun, um, I think that slightly took the sort of initial impact away from it. I'm not saying it wasn't cool and exciting because I definitely remember seeing the cabinet, seeing the graphics and thinking, cool, I've always enjoyed playing car racing games, but Space Harrier and Hang On as well had been the company's uh, first steps into this super sprite scaler, super scaler technology. And so having already seen that and also being a su- absolute sucker for space stuff, I think Space Harrier had sort of taken my breath away to the point that OutRun was, oh, look, this is the new one using, you know, I, I, I was, so I was 14 when this came out and I was already at the point where I knew my different manufacturers. I knew Konami and Sega and Namco. I knew that um, Namco were perhaps one of the, the most renowned for their racing games. Pole Position was still an absolute mainstay, having been one of the first sort of outstanding full color sprite-based 3D racers, although you can trace the format all the way back to, I think, Night Driver in probably in the late 70s was a 3D uh, sprite-based racer using um, similar tech, but far less sophisticated. Um, but yeah, OutRun uh, had things which uh, which made you want to try it, the cliched stuff like the blue skies, but it was just the overall, the vibrancy of it, the presentation. It had this really, arcades tended to have the sound cranked right up because they knew it had this uh, spectacular soundtrack, but it was it was like the coin drop noise is incredibly loud um, and sort of enticing. And then you'd see the radio, the select your music screen, which is something unlike, uh, I don't think I'd ever seen that in an arcade game before, possibly not even in a game before. Um, and then there was the, even if I can't remember if I played it first or watched somebody else playing it first, I, I seem to remember seeing the, uh, the bridges, the, the, the rock bridges going overhead. And that, that is the first image that sticks in my mind. And yeah, it, uh, it was only, it was a mere 30 frames a second, uh, albeit on a 60 Hertz monitor. Um, but it was, it was so, it looked so fast the way everything moved the, with the, with the car hitting uh sort of 200 and something kilometers high an hour the the testarossa spider um and yeah then seeing that map uh at the end of a game having seen uh that the game had branching routes and and again that was something that if it had been done before it was certainly this was the the most uh notable and famous example of a game doing something like that so yeah i i've definitely played it quite a bit at the arcades back in the day i've played all three cabinets uh, there was a stand-up cab in Brighton right well into the 90s that I used to play uh, now and again. Um, and then uh, I didn't have any of the 8-bit versions, and we'll talk about those. But 10 years on from the arcade machine, uh, there was finally a version on a home system that did it did the arcade machine justice, which was the Sega Saturn port. Um, so I got that as part of the Sega Ages pack um, over here, and it was still wonderful. I still loved it. I played it tons uh, probably more so than Afterburner or uh, Space Harrier, which were also on that disc. Uh, and since then, I've had various versions of it on the uh, Xbox as part of the Outrun 2 conversion. Um, I didn't have the Sega Ages Polygon 1, but I know Dan will have played that, so we can talk about that later. Uh, and yes, and I've since it came out over here last year, I've been playing the uh, 3DS 3D version by M2 on and off. Uh, yeah, it's a regular fixture. It sits there 
and uh, will probably never be deleted from my from my 3DS. So the developer uh, is Sega AM2, was Sega AM2, with uh, Yu Suzuki, the designer director at the helm, uh, fresh off the back of Space Harrier and Hang On, which uh, Hang On was a motorbike game, which was pretty much, remember we talked uh, not too long ago about Golden Axe and how that was Sega trying to steal Technos's crown away with uh, with Double Dragon, trying to make something as good but different or be- you know better. This was very much uh, Hang On, uh, was was Sega trying to steal the the lion's share of the arcade racing game market away from their rivals Namco? Um, Konami were also having a, a go at this. I remember all the arcade reviews of this, and you did occasionally get arcade sections in magazines, especially CMVG. Um, the Konami game based around the Le Mans Twenty Four came out literally the same like week. Uh, WEC Le Mans, and in some cases that got more attention than Outrun. Um, I suspect most people will have forgotten it by now, but it had a uh, it had a massive sit down cabinet that rotated 180 degrees. It was like a hot Another- tub. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like a hot tub time machine. <laughs> yeah, and it was uh, obviously the the Sega cab. You know, the out the deluxe Outrun cab was the hydraulics were pretty smart, but this thing actually kind of it was like going on a teacup ride or something. It was a. Uh, of course, Sega went and topped that by with the Galaxy Force 2 uh, deluxe cab a year later, which was uh, the one that went 335 degrees around or something like that, <laughs> uh, and up and down as well. But uh, yeah, so it was it was an exciting time. We'd had, um, as I say, pole position was, even though it was 1982, that was, it seems like a massive gap back then, only four years, but, you know, the the market was moving so fast, but pole position was still a mainstay in arcades. Buggy Boy had come along, which was uh, quite popular, Tatsumi's um, sort of off-roader one. And um, yeah, so, so there was, there were, there were plenty of sprite-based 3D racers around. Uh, So yeah, this was September 1986 uh, on a cabinet that ran with uh, two 68,000 processors, both running at 12.5 megahertz, uh, both handling separate aspects of the graphics. It had a a Yamaha sound chip, uh, which to my ears back then sounded, you know, it was like you were talking about photorealistic, Dan. This was like photorealistic music. This sounded like... Yeah, like CD quality or whatever. Yeah. I suppose it's not, we probably hadn't even heard many CDs by that point, but um, it sounded yeah, like yeah. real music. That's it. Hiroshi Kawaguchi uh, was was the uh, was the composer there. We'll, we'll go and talk more about that. Um, and it had a lot of colours. Uh, it had 12,288 colours on screen from a palette of 98,304 which when you consider that our home machines at the time had sometimes one color on screen along with black and white in the case of the spectrum because a lot of the games would be done in monochrome uh or maybe eight on a commodore 64 a color palette of nine uh, of, uh, of 98,000 with 12,000 colors on screen was eye popping i mean properly like that's more colors than there are, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, Sega sold 30,000 cabinets around the world, uh, which made it their most successful coin-up of the decade. So the scenario has you as a gentleman and only a gentleman. Uh, this was acceptable in the 80s. <laughs> the, uh, the, this is not something that uh, struck me as a 14-year-old heterosexual boy as being in any way uh, demeaning, but... Um, the man always drives the car. The woman merely wag the blonde woman 
who sits uh, next to him, merely wags her finger at him. He sort of gets his comeuppance in some of the end sequences, but I still feel like the woman's role is kind of played for laughs, even though mm. he kind of comes out as, as the fool at the end. I think in a modern version of this game, uh, it would, you would have, I would like to think you'd have the, uh, the option of, of, uh, of driver. Um, even in the, the sequels, the proper sequels is outrun two in the early two thousands, they still had the exact same setup, but I think maybe in another 10 years, things have moved on a bit. There are selectable characters in outrunners, the, uh, multiplayer yes. focused one. Yeah. So, yeah. That's right. And that, that was one of the features that, um, that Yu Suzuki had intended to have in from early. Uh, you know, it's understandable. This was the mid 80s and um, this was a very male dominated arena. It was a it was a male fantasy game, you know, traditionally accepted as if not accurately. Dri- the concept of driving a red Ferrari on the open road would be something that was associated with men and by many absolutely still would uh, thinking of Top Gear and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, there it was. I just remember, I remember being, you know, endlessly amused by the, by the, uh, sort of, uh, incidental animations. Uh, this was the first game I can remember, although pole position had a, a cool explosion where the tires would go bouncing off the screen. This was the first game where you could like flip your car upside down and get thrown out of it. Uh, that was the first time I'd, I'd seen anything like that. And, uh, and yeah, rather than, it being a serious simulation or anyone dying or anything like that. It was just a, it was rather cartoony, sort of almost wily Coyote kind of, uh, you know, wag of the finger and back in the car and off we go kind of thing. Any, any uh, memories regarding the sort of characters and stuff, Dan? Uh, with the crashes, um, I think it was the first thing I played where there were different crashes depending on how fast you were going and that kind of thing. It wasn't just a sort of yeah. one size fits all, um, like an explosion, yeah. um, like you say, in pole position, mm. where it's just a sort of generic explosion every single time or something yeah. like that. I found that quite, um, I don't know if I found it impressive, but I, um, I remember it at least noticing that that was different to what I was used to at the time. Definitely, yeah. Ryan, how about coming to this now? The, uh, how, how does the setup feel to you without, you know, getting too, uh, too analytical on it? It's just sort of curious. I'm curious. Yeah, I... One of the things that really drew me to this game when I started playing it was like, I like racing games just because I like driving around and seeing the environment and stuff. Like I could really not care all that much about the actual races that I would engage in. And so when I sat down with this game and found that, oh, like somebody made like my perfect just go out for a drive game so many years ago, like that was immediately appealing to me. And it just feels like going around and seeing the sights and traveling to all sorts of diverse locations. Um, but like you were saying, I think that the animation really sells the, uh, um, the physicality of the car. Um, yeah. and then of course the, uh, end sequences are always really amusing and really kind of sell the fact that you've really traveled to quite different places over the course of your, yeah. uh, your journey. Yes, uh, uh, reality bending geography is is a huge part of the the yeah. Outrun series, um, but it's not quite uh, it's not quite the leisurely sedate country drive because uh, if you don't even if you um, I mm-hmm. mean obviously in the, like on the 3ds version you have access to what would have been the dip switches and you can change the frequency of traffic and the the checkpoint time and things like that mm-hmm. in this point to point race, um, but even on the easiest settings you can't you know you have to you have to put your foot down a bit and make sure you don't crash on every corner so. 
I hope you weren't treating it too much as a leisurely drive, right? No, but I, I think the way that the graphics were drawn, everything is meant to look good speeding past you. Um, yeah, because of absolutely. course, like by the nature of the way that this game works, like all of the sprites on the side of the road are all, you know, the same image just repeated a hundred times. And uh, it, it's sort of meant to give the illusion that you're speeding past something. And if you were to just park and examine it, you'd probably come up a bit disappointed. But um, but yeah, no, so I, I'm, I'm very happy speeding through this one. And uh, I like that little kick in the pants to go a little bit faster. It's funny, I still associate the uh, the scenery of, of certain areas um, more with OutRun than I do with real life. I mean, this is, <laughs> uh, this is a, a, a theme that pervades my life, but m- my mum and girlfriend were talking about visiting, uh, is it Kirkenhof, Kirkenhof the, the Dutch flower fields? And uh, as soon as they started talking about that, it was like, yep, that, I know that level in OutRun. <laughs> I've been there before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, Yu Suzuki, uh, according to an interview with uh, Now Gamer or Retro Gamer, the same, it's the same publisher. He was mainly inspired by uh, the Cannonball Run, the, uh, I, I think, rather naff and cheesy early 80s uh, Burt Reynolds movie. And in fact, that's a film with some seriously uh, dubious humour by, uh, by today's standards. But uh, Yu Suzuki says, uh, the main impetus behind OutRun's creation was my love of a film called The Cannonball Run. I thought it would be good to make a game like that. The film crosses America, so I made a plan to follow the same course and collect data as I went. But I realised, once I'd arranged everything, that the scenery along the Pan-American course actually doesn't change very much. So I revised my plan and decided to collect data in Europe instead. Because of the transcontinental concept, he recalls, I felt that I should first actually follow such a course myself, collecting information with a video camera, a still camera and other equipment. I started out from Frankfurt where I hired a -a rent-a-car and I installed a video camera on the car. I drove around Monaco and Monte Carlo along the mountain roads of Switzerland, stopping in hotels in Milan, Venice and Rome, collecting data for a fortnight. I have many, many happy memories of that trip. I was only able to put around half the things I wanted to do into OutRun. Because of budget and development time limitations, some of the contents I'd planned had to be squeezed or cut. Same as it ever was, I guess. I'd made preparations for eight individual characters and I wanted to include various events at each checkpoint which would have made the player experience a story, something like the Cannonball Run film. I also wanted to give players a choice of supercars to drive. Obviously, that's something we saw in uh, sequels. So that they could enjoy differences in car performance. Another thing that I read that they'd also wanted to bring to the game was oncoming traffic. So it would have been more like what we saw uh, later in uh, Burnout. Uh, and the game that that, but the arcade game that that was uh, basically ripped off of, uh, the name of which I can't quite remember. Thrill Drive. Thrill Drive. Thank you, Dan. Glad you're here. Uh, and also motorcycles, uh, which didn't make it into the final cut. I guess they just run out of time or sprite palettes or whatever. That just reminded me, I know we're going to get to traffic, but those lorries. Wide load. Yeah, and that was just stunning. I've never seen anything, I don't think, so, quite so big on a screen big. at the time. Yeah. It was um, yeah. Yeah. just um, awe-inspiring. It was, they felt like real lorries, which I, as a kid, I'd only sort of passed being a passenger in the back of a car, I guess. But um, yeah. it really had that feeling that when you went past them, you know, um, and they can't even have much depth to them, can they? As a no. sprite, I suppose. There isn't any depth, but... They've got two, the f- I think they've got literally probably two frames of animation. Um, yeah. 
a back, a, re- a full on back, and then a slight left and a slight right. Uh, I'm not sure they've got any more than that. So, and that's mirrored. So well, that fooled me uh, as a kid for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and a lot of that's the sound design. Yeah. But I just want to talk a little bit more about the the cabinets. Now, I actually, as I say, I think I played mostly on the, on the stand up, uh, partly because it was the one that was available, but also because if you played the sit down one, not only did it tend to be more expensive, arcade operators charging. Uh, what was then for me as a child uh, a king's ransom um, of maybe 50p a credit or, or even a pound I can't quite remember I think it was a pound at least um, in yeah. in the height of the summer and uh, right. in the larger yeah. places yeah uh, whereas I could get a credit of the stand up for 20 or 30 pence but also the other thing was well, there were two other downsides to the hydraulics cabinet from my point of view one is that as you mentioned as, uh, as you attested to you're more likely to drive a, uh, draw a crowd um, in the, the sit-down ones, uh, especially when the game was new because people would want to see what all this lurching about was going on. But that's also part of it was the... I, I found it just much harder to play because I was so aware of the fact that I was being kind of thrown about in this machine. And obviously I was smaller then, so I was kind of rattling about in this big chair. Uh, and yeah, so actually the, the big sit-down cabs often put me off. This is, uh, you know, maybe self-consciousness playing a part, but... Uh, I had this with a lot of games, yeah. Uh, Space Harrier was another one, and and even later on with things like Daytona, it was like I'd rather just play when no one can see me. <laughs> Is that just me? I think being a few years younger, it was um, the other way around for me. That uh, part of the appeal was the the hydraulics and the cabinet and the moving about and the it feeling like you know it's like when you go yeah. to the um, outside the arcade where the little ride on things. Yes, it was a bit like that, but you had a game included as well. Yeah. Um, so I think I really enjoyed that. But then later, when I got older, I think I've mentioned this place before, there was a takeaway called Feeders in the town where I grew up. They had Street Fighter and uh, Final Fight and all sorts of stuff. Um, but they got a stand-up cabinet many, many years after the game. This, this would be like 91, 92 maybe. Mm. But I think the owner was a bit of a fan of um, yeah, classic games. Because the one, now looking back at the ones he had, it's, and the Neo Geo he had, and um, I think he just must, must have just been a fan or a collector of sorts of um, slightly broken arcade machines. And then the stand-up one... Um, came in into its own for me then. Yeah, so uh, Ryan, you missed out on all this hydraulic fun. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose, I mean, in this the world of the arcades, kind of some of the big event machines, if that's what they're called, I don't think it is, um, but the sort of, you know, the big dedicated uh, deluxe cabinets are some of the only video games you can actually find out there in the wild now. But mm-hmm. back then, I'm sure you've seen footage or or mock-ups of it or maybe you remember it from your dim and distant youth but it would be you'd have rows and rows of standard upright cabs sometimes generic cabinets with different games in but then in the middle of the floor or around you know sometimes around the edges or wherever you'd have uh sometimes on pedestals you'd have these big hydraulic cabinets or dedicated cabinets and um yeah they could you know you would like on on brighton pier you would have literally 20 30 people just sort of standing watching other people play climbing up into these cabinets cockpits and um and playing the game so uh whereas you've been playing this on a 3ds you know which is kind of you know it's about as far away from that as possible <laughs> so it'll be interesting to to hear 30 years on well the 3ds goes some way to emulate the kind of shifting of the cabinet in in little yeah. funny ways obviously not getting anywhere close to the real experience but it uh it shifts the screen and you know with yeah. just uh the black border kind of shifting in and out of view as you turn uh, which can be turned off, of course. And then uh, I think it also goes some way to emulate the like mechanical noise of the it uh, does. cabinet itself. Yep. 
No, absolutely. Yeah, there's a fantastic, fascinating, in-depth uh, blog piece on the Sega blog that that lasted four uh, four pieces, four long articles, interviews with the M2 team, which I thoroughly recommend. And they talk about the processes they went through to get the 3D Outrun version for the 3DS so incredibly accurate. And it, it really is. A, a, we always talk about this when we talk about M2, but I make no apology because this is kind of what Kane and Rinse is all about. M2's work is a sort of it's like a like a beautiful expression of what I want Kane and Rince to be, which is an absolute love letter to a particular, you know, other people's um, work on a video game. So I'm really interested. You've already heard, listeners, that both Dan and I were fairly mind boggled by by the visuals of Sprite Scalar Tech and Outrun back in in the mid '80s. So I'm interested now playing this, seeing this for the first time on 3DS. Obviously, we didn't have mm-hmm. 3D back in the day, but in our in our brains we were seeing uh, this because we were still used to mostly 2d games i mean 3d you know 3d as in into the screen races had been around for some time as i say but a lot of the games we would have been playing on in arcades at this point would have still been you know side scrolling stuff basically 2d mm-hmm. side scrolling stuff so anything that looked like outrun you know you, you could the, the, actually there there were experiments with stereoscopic 3d games and they added nothing for me in the traditional fashion but so here you are playing this in 2016 Ryan and what's what's your thought about the visuals of it i mean obviously the uh, animation and the colors which you've already mentioned are, are still eye popping to this day like there was a lot of attention paid to just making it feel warm and sunny and something like that doesn't really fade with the years but as for the actual graphical quality like obviously i've been playing like i I had played forza horizon 2 before i played this and so like i'm kind of like up to date on what the uh almost excessively lush visuals of the racing genre have evolved to become in the modern age but even looking back at this i Mm. if if my mind wasn't blown like i at least thought like oh that's that's really clever what they're doing there like Mm. I, i like what they're going for and it's it's not the type of uh, experience that I found was off-putting. Like a lot of kind of older games can be, even if they're good games, like sometimes things about the mechanics of the presentation just plain don't translate to the modern age once you've been accustomed to things that do it a little bit more smoothly. And mm-hmm. while I can kind of like acknowledge that this is a less elegant way to race than if everything was just in 3D, you know, like yeah. it, it's a lot easier to, you don't get the the pop in, you don't, uh, you have a lot more time to think about and react to turns and, uh, and obstacles and stuff. But like something about this, like it was just unfamiliar enough to where I thought that, yeah, this is really novel, really unique. I've never really seen anything like this. And, uh, and I, I did not dislike a moment of it. I, it kept me coming back. That's so interesting because as I say, when I finally got to play a version of this that was uh, that was worthy of the name at home, which was the Saturn version in '96, um, and that already seemed like you know eons beyond '86, because uh, you know ten years back then was a lot longer, both in terms of my mm. life and in terms of video games. So to hear that twenty years on from that, even it's still effective, um, and I think some of that does come down to the sort of the charisma and personality of of the the drawing of the sprites, because even though they're they're really not at all high res by modern standards the the resolution of the screen was 320 by 224 which i think makes it not a million miles away from the native resolution of the 3ds <laughs> yeah yeah uh so uh but obviously back then it was it was it was very high res 
I think it's served well by being mm. pretty well off of the uh, the bell curve of you know progress, so to speak. Like yeah. it, it when you were playing this contemporaneously, you would have been comparing it to like this is what racing games might become in the next few years. Like yeah. this feels like a legitimate step forward. Whereas for me, like I've seen how racing games have progressed. I know that this isn't like the next step from Forza mm. Horizon 2 into a brave new world. Nope. And so like I'm able to just kind of like take it as is and uh and it, it feels like there's less uh I don't know, less baggage, less investment tied to it that way. Um, it, yeah, it just sure. is kind of a uh, kind of an artifact more than anything. We, you know, we'd even had racing simulations at home by this point. Jeff Crammon's Revs was was nineteen eighty four, I think, on the BBC, and uh, obviously that was you know far slower. Um, but we were still a few years away from polygon races. I think um, we were talking about this uh, the other day, Ryan. You were you mentioned Vet, which is a game I'd sort yeah, of barely yeah. heard of. Um, which was a 1989 polygon racer. And the, that reminded me of Indy 500, Indianapolis 500, which Dan may remember, which was uh, quite a big deal on PC and Amiga. Um, uh, but it was literally just the one Indy 500 circuit. So it was literally just driving uh, loops over <laughs> around, around, around. <laughs> but it was, but it had, it was the first game I had at home, which had a proper um, external camera replay function. If you had a one mm. meg, uh, if you had a one meg Amiga, so expanded Amiga. Um, and that, that was exciting times. Then obviously it was a couple of years after that, that we got Sega's virtual racing. When was um, hard driving? It, hard driving. That's a very good point. No, that was, I'm oh, going to say that was 89. 89. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a polygon racer at the arcades. Yeah. Good point. And my closest uh, technological touch point for this game that I could compare it to is the, you know, even still a few years on the first F-Zero game. Yeah. I mean, the Mode 7 type thing, which obviously was uh, basically putting 2D bitmap images into a, a, a pseudo 3D thing. I'd actually mm -hmm. seen that effect on the on the home computers on the Amiga at that point. Um, and uh, and so when the Super Nintendo kind of included it as a function, I sort of I'd, I'd seen the potential and that was a cool idea. But yeah, that was another completely separate 3D solution. But obviously it has it has limitations, but they mm -hmm. actually used, I suppose, some of the things like the cars and the trackside objects were probably using similar uh, sprite scaling type technology, although Sega's patents on its actual code were incredibly tightly uh, locked down. But you're absolutely right. When F-Zero came out, which would have been 1990 on the Super Famicom, I think, in Japan. I think mm. we had to wait a couple of years. Uh, people were absolutely blown away by the visuals of that game uh, and Pilot Wings as well, which is the other big Mode 7 early Super Nintendo game. It's also the same principle, isn't it? The, um, yeah, they're sure. They're both 2D uh, with, a, with a change in your elevation of the camera. But with Mode 7, you can turn the camera around, whereas sprite scaling, you're just going directly into the screen, isn't it? But it's the same yeah idea just yeah i guess the, yeah. Uh, the logical evolution is to be able to move that in a yeah. yeah use it as a more 3d space i suppose isn't it yeah sure it was yeah the the point being it was an exciting time for video games for graphics for for kids of our age me and dan that is between you know eight and 15 whatever we were um it was ridiculously exciting time and and like yeah that Obviously, you're a bit of a student and a historian, Ryan, but there's probably nothing that can quite replicate that feeling that we had of, of right. like 
you know, in, intense possibility. Maybe, you know, maybe virtual reality, the feeling hmm. you get when, I don't know if you've tried a, a, a Vive or a Vive, yeah, whatever yeah. it is yet. Um, maybe it's that sort of, that level of, I don't know. Hmm. I, I, I feel like even then, like the experiences that I've heard of people talking about uh, Oculus Rift and stuff, they, they, they seem excited, but they don't seem as properly like... The, Back in the eighties, this was we might you know this was voodoo. This was impossible. This was how are they doing this? Mm. Whereas now we're far more like, yeah, this was the obvious next step. It's cool. I like it. But I was expecting this. You know? Do you know what mm. I mean? Yeah. Um, and that's the thing we always try to get across in these podcasts when when relevant. And it's still you know there are still some uh, innovations and and particular engines and experiences in video games which absolutely give me similar feelings. Uh, but but yeah the 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 never to be repeated moments of walking in and seeing walking into an arcade when arcades had tech that was so far outstripping what was possible at home. Um, you know, these cabinets cost thousands and thousands of pounds and home computers cost a few hundred pounds. It was, uh, it was, there was no comparison. These were all dedicated, uh, hardware. And the other thing which, uh, attracted us in attract mode or when other people were playing is definitely the sound, as I say, that, that coin chime, uh, it's still playing in my head yeah. uh, right now, and yep. but it's it's not just that; it's the it's the sound of the waves that that very um, you know sort of high pitched uh, crashing wave that goes on in the background. Um, I think it's playing even as as you first uh, press select just on the title screen. It's got this whole kind of seaside vibe, and the first stage is is by the sea with all these windsurfers and. Um, the engine noise it was something that could often be a bugbear, particularly in home driving games, because it would often be either white noise or a very high-pitched constant whine. But the thing with OutRun, even though this uh, Ferrari's only got two gears and it probably sounds nothing like a Ferrari uh, Testarossa Spider or whatever it is, I think that's right, I looked it up, it had a noise that was, wasn't was too annoying. You know, it was like it had a, and it had a sort of like a like a breeziness to it um, and combined with the, the actual, the sounds of uh, the Doppler sounds of, of going past other cars, which was something that not every game had managed to do up to that point. Uh, again, it was all adding to that sense of progress, the incredibly rewarding, probably slightly muffled and scratchy female voice saying checkpoint. I don't even know if it was supposed to be the woman in the car or just the announcer of the game, but uh, combine all that with the iconic uh, sort of jazz funk soundtrack, which I have to say in its own right is not something that I would have ever found myself listening to, but in the context of the game, it is absolutely legendary and works perfectly. I, I remember uh, playing it to a friend when playing the Saturn version in the nineties and, and he likened it to Jamiroquai and I was like, Oh God, no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, but you know, honestly, he's probably right. Uh, it, it, it is very much of that ilk, um, which is, yeah, not, not the kind of music that I would generally listen to, but, but I'm not knocking it at all because those tunes, you know, I had the, um, famously they gave away the cassette, uh, with the 8-bit home computer versions because the home computer versions either had no music in some cases or, uh, or you know, very chippy renditions. Um, they gave away the cassette on the front of uh, CMVG. It had, a, yeah, it had like a medley of the three Outrun tunes and I just used to listen to it on my, my, uh, my boombox, such as it was back in, back in the 80s. Yeah, I think I took it, I like, listened to it on the walk to school and 
that kind of thing. Yeah. And then later on, do you remember? The, the, did you have the Afterburner one? I think there was an Afterburner one on something as well. No, I don't like know. a sort of complete collection of the Sega '80s FM funk yeah. tunes. Yeah. No, I had um, the, the cassette I had was uh, Outrun on one side and 720 on the other, which uh, was not so pleasant on the ears. I have to say the the, the Atari 720. It's a skateboarding game for those of you who don't know. Uh, it had a very different sound chip to the <laughs> to the. Yeah, it's very machine. angular, isn't it? It's, um... Oh yeah, it's um, it's like thrash done on a I don't know on a naked piano wire or something. It's uh, yeah, it's it's harsh on the ears. Anyway, I still used to listen to it because it was a free cassette and I didn't have many tapes because I was like Absolutely. a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was like having the arcade machine in your own home. And did you ever listen to the? Uh, outrun cassette while sitting as a passenger in your dad or granddad's car or like I <laughs> yes <laughs> yes we used yeah. to put it on it's like yeah the music Ryan this iconic sound you must have mm-hmm. kind of were you familiar with like the names of the songs uh, just as somebody who lives in the world of video games was, was the, the whole magical sound shower splash wave passing breeze thing did that mean something to you or was this all like discovery I had been introduced to a magical sound shower through Sound of Play, actually. Okay, yeah, sure. And uh, yeah, I hadn't really run into them before, but I remember really liking that track when it came up on Sound of Play, and so I don't think it is necessarily tied to my uh, memories with the game, but um, I I probably need to spend more time with the rest of the soundtrack before I can really tell whether any of the others stand out. Okay, were you, uh, Dan, did you always default to one particular pick? You know, people always say, magical sound share all the way but is that true do some people always pick other tunes um it's a bit like the marmite thing isn't it where some people actually don't mind marmite i think where it's not necessarily quite as um yeah. binary yeah. as it seems um yeah. i used to switch to passing breeze quite a lot yeah and then um but and less so splash wave but yeah. i used to sort of change interchange between them as and when really Same here. but magical sound shower was the kind of go-to just because it it goes that bit further than, I don't know, the loop seems to last quite a long while. Yeah, that's like true. It's it got a bridge. It's that. got like bridges and weird mm. sections and all sorts. It's all Solos. a bit, um, yeah, it's like a Yellow Magic Orchestra FM yeah. funk weirdness. Or yeah. So the actual playing of the game, this is something I'm interested about as well, because I think it's something where I've been playing Outrun now for 30 years. It is its uh, 30th anniversary around the time of you listening to this podcast. It's almost like we plan these things. I remember even at the time thinking that the game didn't feel like other games to handle i know that you suzuki it seems crazy now because this seems like such a an absolute and iconic arcadey racer um it was a game that you suzuki said he wanted people who were good at driving in real life to be able to play and feel like they were good at you know because they could drive in real life i think the uh, the expression of this ultimately was his uh, ferrari f355 uh, games, which I never played because I understand they were and remain some of the most kind of technically demanding uh, driving simulations. But the, the handling never felt... I, I don't drive in real life, I should say. I didn't drive then because I was 14 years old and I don't drive now because I've never learned to drive. Um, so I don't have real driving to compare it to. I imagine it's absolutely nothing like it. I feel like OutRun handles like OutRun and like no other game or any car, but to me, it still feels pretty good. The the uh, the sense of speed is there definitely um, because of the graphics engine, but also I don't know. It doesn't like what they they went on to do with Outrun Two, where you're going sideways almost the entire race. I love mm. I love that, and I love the ridiculous drifting in Ridge Racer as well. This doesn't really have that. It doesn't have drifting in the same way, but it does have the need to. Uh, sometimes drop gear or certainly brake or at least ease off the accelerator to go into corners. So it had 
you know, I was a kid and what you tended to do was play driving games by just holding down the accelerator, waiting until you crash and then holding down the accelerator until you crash again, not really thinking that you ever wanted to break going into a corner or stuff like that. Um, I have friends who still play driving games like this. Uh, and eventually I learned that it was actually more satisfying to go a bit slower sometimes, but not to crash. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think I don't necessarily think it has like what feels like the best handling of any driving game ever, but it feels like Outrun and I, I now can't sort of separate it. Dan, what are your memories of driving the Outrun mobile? Um, well, I don't drive either. And uh, okay. it's one of those things where I think at the time, like my nan used to watch me play it on the Master System and say, oh, you'll be good at driving. And it's like, well, no, because like, <laughs> driving's for completely the wrong reasons. Like I don't want to be going as fast as I can. <laughs> yeah, with a D-pad, yeah. I love it for being arcade handling, but I couldn't ever compare it to driving a car other than a few lessons I've had so I wouldn't be able to say <laughs> we don't want it to be realistic do we that's not the point but I wouldn't no. be able to say if it's like driving but it makes for a good racing game for sure, sure. it's got this sort of um, bounciness um, yeah the, the, yeah the way the sprite I mean it's got lots and lots of frames of animation that uh, well it's probably I say lots and lots it's probably about four but the, the, the camera is very low in the game compared to pre uh, previous driving games like Pole Position and Buggy Boy so that, that sort of added a sense of um, danger and speed as well but it also gives it this wonderful um, the way the car flips up and down still looks gorgeous to me the way the way that when you're going down a hill you know it tilts all the way forward and you can see the mm. top of the car and, and vice versa and um, I have to say, you know, the the sensation, even without the hydraulics, but the sensation to me when first playing this game of g- going over the crest of a hill and diving down was proper, like, you know, it felt like I was going down in an elevator kind of thing. It was like, you know, stomach drop kind of thing. Yeah, that roller coaster moment. Absolutely. And and I still got that even uh, some years later when um, Magnetic Fields did uh, Lotus on the Amiga um, and they did a they, they did a really, you know, commendable home sort of version of a similar sort of graphical idea. Um, and it doesn't, you know, obviously that's worn off over the years and, uh, and, and whatever. But yeah, it's still it still comes to mind. Ryan, what's your what's your experience of actually handling the car? Did it did it work for you in, in 2016? Well, it's funny that you said that it uh, it is so different from the uh, very drifty uh, Ridge Racer. When in my notes here, I have actually that Ridge Racer is the game that it reminds me the most of. Okay. And I think that's because like, I actually did find this to be quite a bit, uh, quite drifty in that uh, like you kind of approach the, uh, the corners in the same way that you would in a very drift-based racing mm-hmm. game like Ridge Racer. And I think the reason it doesn't necessarily read like that is because you are locked into that view in the back of the car. And so it just feels like you're taking a turn and your wheels are very grippy um, just because the graphics don't really represent a drift happening. Whereas Mm. in um, Outrunners, they have a lot of, um, of different perspectives on the car. And so when you take even the smallest turn your uh, your sprite will go almost completely sideways yeah and yeah. while it handles pretty much the same way it feels very very drifty because you are going right. um, sideways throughout almost every turn uh, it kind of overdoes it in that one in my opinion yeah. but right. um, I think the thing that keeps it from being like a hundred percent of hundred percent a drift game for me is that you don't have that satisfying feeling of just gunning it at the end of the turn like you would in a ridge racer or a burnout or something where you would be drifting around corners but um 
otherwise, like I like the feeling of taking those turns, just jamming my well little 3DS thumb pad thing as yeah. far right as I can, trying to uh, keep my car from from grazing along the palm trees and the side of the track as, mm. uh, you know, hoping that the curve straightens out before I hit the edge. And, um, yeah, I, I think that it controls fairly well, which, uh, you know, for as much of the drivable area as the, uh, traffic civilian uh, cars. Yeah. Yeah. They take yeah. up like a fairly large amount of space and sometimes it gets a little tricky to kind of weave between them. But yeah. I always felt, uh, and that's especially kind of compounded because uh, the flat nature of the sprites means that it's hard to really judge how far you need to get in front of them before you can merge back into that lane. Um, but yeah. I, uh, yeah, I didn't really, um, I never felt like the handling let me down, which is not something that I often say in racing games. And so, right. um, yeah, I think that it handles well, even to these days. Yeah, obviously one of the things that uh, Suzuki and his AM2 team did was to, compared to other racing games, was to widen the roads. I mean, it starts off, you start off with no traffic at all on this, was it six lane highway at, at first? Uh, well, it's split into two at first, isn't it? And, uh, and then you get, a, you get a little go in without any, uh, any other cars and uh, to, just to not discourage you is the idea obviously you don't have any collisions at least until you've got a little bit of your money's worth and got your got to grips with the the feel of driving the car and all that sort of thing um and then really you know the skill of the game is obviously uh getting from point to point without running out of time um generally uh on the sort of default settings which i i mean i can't remember which uh you know arcade operators would you know, sometimes uh, tweak things up or down a little bit if they, depending on the uh, data they were getting back from the machine. But generally, um, I found that uh, I could, on uh, on the stand-up cabinet that I favoured, uh, get to the end of some of some of the endings, some of the easier endings. Uh, famously, there are five different uh, endings. I guess only only ending E, which is uh, the hardest one, which is right all the way across the map. Uh, is the the only one where you absolutely appear to have won, uh, as in you get a trophy at the end of the you get a trophy at the end of the race and nothing nothing untoward happens to your your character. Um, but I remember reading. Uh, I generally understand it that heading leftwards is the easier way, but I'm sure I remember reading back in the day that the easiest course was left, right, left, right, left. But I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm unsure. Obviously, there were there are a number of options you can take to get to uh, to get to one of the five final stages. And in fact, I think um, certainly the 3DS version has separate high score table for every combo. I think every combination of tracks that's possible. I think that's right. I wouldn't swear to it actually, but uh, it's a nice feature anyway. And um, yeah, I guess my thing was because uh, obviously you had you were balancing playing back in the arcades. You had the whole um, you wanted to get as long a play as possible, but you also wanted to see the coolest graphics possible. <laughs> so, uh, and you wanted to see things you hadn't seen before. So there was, it was always a bit of a balancing act as to decide which courses you wanted to see. I'm sure there were some I never, never even saw at the arcades. Uh, some of the latter ones on the right hand side, I probably had to wait until I had the Saturn version at home before I saw every single uh, variant. Um, so Dan, were there was there any method to your madness? Uh, were you able to clock this in the arcades and have a crowd around you cheering? I didn't manage to finish it in the arcades until I'd finished it at home first. 
Um, oh, okay. I got very into the Master System version, which I guess we'll get to in a bit. Yeah. I didn't actually, when I was in the arcades, I didn't realize that there was any easiness or hardness to any of it. I just sort of went whichever way felt like the right way to go at yeah. the time, you know. Um, well, sometimes you would be slightly forced down a route based on traffic, wouldn't you? Yeah, or however you're not drifting, um, but however you're going at the time, like swing into the one that you're, yeah. you feel like you're going towards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't figure out what which levels were which until I got the home version later on, so... Yeah, uh, I don't know. I just went at random. Okay. Uh, and Ryan, you've been playing this at home with uh, potentially unlimited uh, control over <laughs> difficulty and stuff like that. Have you, have you, do you think you've seen all the, all the, uh, all the many courses? Yes. Yeah, I was uh, pretty meticulous in marking them off my yeah. list. Good. I'd like to hear it. Any highlights of your European tour? Anytime that there's anything over your head, it's always kind of yeah. interesting just because it's a, yeah. it mixes it up a little bit. That comes back to those rock bridges, which I still, yeah, I still yeah. remember as being properly uh, eye-popping when, when, uh, when I was 14 years old. And also uh, perhaps, you know, some of the reason that the, the 8-bit home computer versions were always going to struggle. Although, well, we'll get on to that. There are some, there are a couple of uh, expert techniques, pro techniques, uh, neither of which I know how to do properly. And, I, and I'm not an expert on them, but I, I've read a bit about them over the years. Um, so you can do a, uh, somehow do a Mario style rocket start turbo dash. Does anyone know how to actually get this? No, no. not a clue. I didn't know about it until uh, I saw that you'd written about this. So no. Yeah. Uh, so um, uh, yeah, I don't really know, but um, apparently it is possible. The one that's probably more famous though, and they've actually, I think they've simulated this in the uh, in the 3D version is the gear gacha. And that's gacha as in the noise the gear makes when you grind it from forward to back <laughs> um, in the same way that gachapon, the, the collectible toys from Japanese vending machines, it's the onomatopoeia for the noise you make, for the noise the machine makes when you, twist the thing gacha pod this is gacha as in basically um there's a wonderful video out there uh on outrun86.wordpress.com which is a blog a blog all about um uh, outrun and actually it's a youtube video so you can probably find it there uh, it is entitled japanese businessman showing off his outrun gear gacha skills and it is a middle-aged probably my age uh Japanese guy in a Japanese arcade full of lined up with um, vintage uh, machines, including out the uh, outrun deluxe that he sat in. He's got afterburner to his right. He's got WEC Le Monde, the aforementioned to his left, and he is playing a top level, probably or very high level, certainly game of outrun. He looks like, you know, the, the, the comment on the blog is like, yeah, this I, I reckon this this guy has loved this game since he was a kid. Now he's a respectable middle aged businessman and he's sitting there in this arcade uh, in his suit doing gear gacha, uh, which is effectively to do with going off road slightly uh, in when there's nothing to crash into exactly, obviously. But some of the edges of the roads are uh are sparse, sparsely populated, uh, and then changing quickly, changing up and down, uh, which m I think it at least maintains your top possible speed, or possibly even goes beyond what's supposed to be your speed limit. So you can clear these quite lengthy sections by using this gear gacha technique, um, by yeah, without losing any pace by going around corners or, or whatever. So, uh, but I've never attempted such <laughs> such tomfoolery. I think I saw someone doing that in the arcades when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know what they were doing. I, no. I just thought they were trying to break the gearbox or something like that. Or, well, yeah. apparently that's quite a common outcome, although uh, they were, you know, these, these machines were very 
um, durable, sturdily built and hard wearing. But I think that, yeah, gear gacha was, was probably, um, it's the sort of thing that might have been frowned upon or even banned in certain game centers. But, uh, but I think there comes a point where, when such, um, techniques, which it's obviously completely, um, it's, it's a, it's a glitch effectively that's been discovered. This is not a technique that's been put in the game to be discovered. It is something that is, is an exploit effectively. Uh, I think when it becomes kind of, uh, acceptable or, or even, um, necessary for the community to get the high, cause th- th- this is a high score game. Ultimately, let's, let's not forget. This was one of the first video games I can remember, not a pinball game that had a massive high score at the top of the screen that, that goes into millions and millions. Um, it was quite common up to this point to have, you know, games with thousands or tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. But this game's got this like this massive clock ticking over of, uh, and everything you do is just racking up points. And um, and I think even like it doesn't actually make any mechanical difference how many figures you have in your in your uh, high score table in a way. But they did this basically so that I think that the, the rhythm the pace of the score going up kind of matches the the intense sort of uh the pace of the game that's go that's going on um yeah and uh, like when i got the saturn when i finally got that saturn version had a home version i was instantly like trying to fill up the high score tables with with my own high scores and then trying to beat my previous bests and stuff like that and i've been doing it again with the 3d version over the last year and a half or whatever and i'm not going down the gear learning how to do the gear catcher thing but i know that m2 um, purposely included uh, things to make that that absolutely functions in the um, in their in their three D version. In a funny way, there's an element of crazy taxi to that, isn't there? Um, I guess the, the shifting of gears for for the boost. I wonder if Gear Gatcher was an inspiration for uh, for Crazy Taxi, as we talked about recently. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all. So yes, uh, let's talk conversions. We'll come back to the 3D version uh, towards the end of the podcast. But um, so the Master System version is the one you're familiar with, Dan. Uh, I remember seeing it, but I didn't play it. This came out in, uh, in June '87, so it was less less than a year after the coin-op. Um, obviously, the Master System was Sega's console at this point. Um, didn't arrive in America until October and then January '88 for Europe. And how did this fare as a port, as an eight-bit version? It was never going to be the arcade version, was it? I mean, the um, the car sprite is smaller. Um, well, all the sprites are smaller. Um, but it, to me, it was a passable home version. I'd played the Spectrum version previously, and I'd played the um, Commodore version out of Friends and uh, a few others. And this was, to me, the one that felt most like arcade outrun, maybe because it was made yeah. by Sega. Sega, yeah. Yeah. They kind of knew their own game, I guess. Um and the sound, oh, I wish we'd had the FM sound chip over here. That would have uh, mm. made all the difference to the sound. But yeah, it was a, a passable version. And we used to, yeah, it was one of those games that we used to sort of pay, play as a family. It was one of the, I think it was one of the only games I had. So I learned it inside out. I remember taking photos of the screen of high scores and things like that uh, to try and chase it sometime later because obviously it didn't hold the data in the cartridge. So, um, yeah. so you had to remember it somehow. Um, but yeah, I got, uh, yeah. It was one of, I think, three games I had for the Master System. So, yeah, I got really into that when, uh, when the Master System launched. Nice. And uh, there were two Master System versions, as I understand. There was a 3D version which supported the stereoscopic... It's actually Sega a different game. It's got different, um, different tracks. Okay. Oh, okay. It's, uh, it's not very different. I think some, some uh, sections may be the same, but there's, there's all right. new 
uh, areas and uh, graphics and uh, some of them are lit differently and things like that. And additional music tracks from Chikako Kamatani. Mm. So yeah, those 8-bit versions. Uh, now, I think the word notorious is probably appropriate for these. Uh, so as soon as US Gold acquired the license, uh, pretty much they started advertising this game in the games press at the time. This is, I'm speaking from memory. I don't have yet, unfortunately, I don't have that history of US Gold book, although this may not, um, which looks excellent, by the way, but this may not, <laughs> this may not feature. But as I recall from memory and as somebody who read every games magazine and, and everything like that back in the day, the, uh, the screenshots that were used in the press adverts were mock-ups, effectively. They were what, what would be euphemistically called in later years target renders. So they were, they were you know, hand-drawn, effectively, um, screens of what the game might or could look like on Commodore 64, Amstrad, and Spectrum. In the end, the versions that came about, Probe handled the Amstrad and Spectrum versions, and amazing products programmed by Martin Webb handled the Commodore 64 version. Um, they were all uh, severely compromised compared not only to the arcade original, but compared to other games of similar genre and technical difficulty. That's the point. I always got a bit annoyed, still, still do, when people say, oh, well, they could never have converted OutRun to these machines because it was, you know, caught into a pint pot stuff. But the thing is... Turbo Outrun on Commodore 64 came out after this and was extremely well received and highly regarded. Uh, the Spectrum similarly had Enduro Racer, which was uh, another uh, sprite scaler tech uh, coin op, and that was incredibly well. So that was such a good version. Exactly. Like, how could Outrun not be as good as Enduro Racer? And Enduro yeah. Racer was what a year earlier, at least, right? Yeah, so so I mean, it's it's a classic case of uh, resources, time, and the people on the job. You know, so th th isn't, this is not about you can't do outrun or space area or whatever on these machines. It's about the time, the resources, and the people they had doing them. I suspect that probably any of the programmers doing it, you know, maybe maybe with longer or whatever. You know, I'm sure they had to get this out in time for Christmas '87 um, and and whatever else. But the fact is. Um, like the Commodore 64 version was a multi-load, didn't have uh, the forks in the road, didn't have the map. Um, the, the the passenger female has dark hair, not blonde hair. Like they couldn't, surely they could have, you know, used the, the yellow color. Um, and uh, the, the Amstrad version has no in-game music. The car doesn't flip, so on and so forth. And again, Spectrum, you know, missing uh, music on the 48K version Perhaps understandably, it might not have sounded great anyway. But Spectrum also had an amazing version of um, Chase HQ, didn't it? So again, like uh, another contemporary arcade racer with ridiculous graphics. It, it wasn't like no one's saying that you could do an arcade perfect outrun on these machines. But what you could do is what they managed with some of these other ports and make a perfectly playable um you know, a game that resembled and was still fun. Uh, and unfortunately, US Gold uh, failed on multiple counts there. Also the MSX version, uh, MSX1, that was. Uh, there was a, an MSX2 version later on in Japan by somebody called Pony Canyon. I never played either of the Amiga versions of OutRun. There was one released in 1988 and then a, a revised or amended version released in 1989. Um, I can't tell you. I've seen them running, uh, but... They, I mean, they look bad. The the ST version, uh, similar, but more so. And the one that actually made me laugh out loud because it is, it just, it, there's just something. 
I can't describe it, but check out the PC MS-DOS version of OutRun, the 1980 version, 1989 version by Unlimited Software. It's like if somebody had made a comedy version of OutRun. It's just everything about it is hilarious. There was an LCD handheld tabletop game. There was, well, there was a little handheld version and a tabletop game which had a sort of red Ferrari bonnet type of thing going on. We talked about one of these with the Golden Axe uh, podcast. This was, again, Tiger Electronics uh, with Grandstand distributing in uh, EU in 1989 to 90. I think I had this little handheld. I've either, I definitely have played this, and um, yeah. it has quite a good feel for one of those games. It's one of the better, yeah, better right. ones. It, um seems to have sort of like not the the actual speed i mean you're never going to get the going over hills no. and stuff like that but um i suppose i was at the time comparing it to do you remember the ones you used to get in say um motorway service stations yeah the little racing game that it came in all sorts of different packaging and there was just this one game that you could get in all sorts of different packages and it yeah. this one had its own feel to it it was yeah so go tiger for that one <laughs> highly collectible i'm sure i don't I, I, I don't know if it's one that you still see around or whether it's worth uh, millions of pounds the pc engine version again i've seen it running uh, it looked it's it looked uh slightly more um authentic than some of the 8-bit computer versions uh, but it was developed again outside sega by nec avenue can't attest to its quality now, here's one I have played, the Mega Drive version, or Genesis. Uh, this came out in 91, so the arcade game was already five years old at this point. It's converted by uh, Hertz. Uh, in features one extra music track called Step on Beat from uh, Masayoshi Ishii. Uh, and yeah, I played this, and it was um, uh, mm, kind it's of... okay. Yeah, I felt like Sega themselves could have done a bang-up job on this it would you know they they'd done good versions of like super monaco gp and super hang on and uh for the mega drive and this felt like a bit of a downstep from those i think we were lucky that the reviews hit when the japanese import version came out because otherwise if it had come out when the uh when the mega drive was big here i think a lot of people would have maybe been stung by that so um yeah. maybe so we waited longer uh so the game gear version in 91 was developed by sims we'll hear more of them in a bit um i don't normally the game gear version of these things was similar recognizable from the master system version but I can't say because I didn't play it. Uh, then there's that Saturn version, which was, as I say, released on its own in Japan. Uh, Rutubo Games handled the Sega Ages series then. Um, and it included uh, the enhanced uh, 60 frames per second option. And, uh, and it also included both the Japanese and overseas ROMs, which have slightly uh, different track order and stuff. There was a mobile phone version in 2004. Goodness knows what that was like. So the game arrived as part of the 3D Ages series, not that sort of 3D, the old sort of 3D in polygons. Um, so this was Sega Ages 2500 series, volume 13 in Japan, and arrived uh, west on the Sega Classics collection. Now I know you've got this, Dan. How, yep. does, how does Outrun fare for you? It's not great, um, but I've, I've played every permutation yep. just because it's Outrun and I like Outrun. <laughs> um it's, I mean, it feels, it's somewhere between like, the feel of OutRun and OutRun 2, funnily enough. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but not a very nice, fi or maybe Turbo OutRun thrown in the mix as well, you know, that heaviness that's yeah. that's in Turbo OutRun. Um, uh, but um, it's not the best game on that package, but it's not the worst either. It's a passable, rubbish, homebrew version <laughs> of OutRun. Yeah, they all look, yeah, like you said on the, on the Golden Axe show, those games all look a bit 
cheap and cheerful homebrew style, even though they're released absolutely under the, the Sega name. But they were, you know, they were released as a budget compilation or budget individual games in Japan. So I suppose it makes sense. But I think the main, maybe one of the biggest problems with this, because I remember Stuart Campbell uh, on his blog at the time saying that he really enjoyed this, this Outrun remake, but it came out like within months of Outrun 2006 coast to coast, which is amazing. So just, uh, yeah, didn't fare too well. Uh, the Dreamcast version was oh, 2001, yeah, I suppose, on Sh- uh, because you could play it in the arcade in Shenmue 2, of course, which we uh, recorded a podcast about some time ago. Um, I think it was the emulation on the Dreamcast uh, somehow, some way, uh, and this also appeared on the Yu Suzuki Gameworks compilation. Uh, the, I remember the Saturn version still feeling like it was the better option. I'm not sure why it just it felt like the emulation was just a bit inferior uh, and also this was the uh, the time of the uh, redrawn back of the car although we still have that in the 3D version um due to lapsed Ferrari license so it looks less like a Testarossa Game Boy Advance version anybody uh, lower resolution obviously this is by Bit Studios on the Sega Arcade Gallery which is effectively a Sega Ages compilation for GBA it's, I always thought this was a great nice idea to have um, an old a set of vintage Sega coin-ups in your pocket in 2003 um, yeah again the resolution's not there um, but uh, it, and it's a bit buggy and slow and again it's got a bit of a sort of homebrew feel you know how uh, oh. it feels like it was um, I mean it's not great emulation it's not even emulation it's sort of conversion but again it's got this sort of homebrewy kind of feel to it like a bit done on the cheap but um mm. but it holds up it's a i mean you're getting a range of games aren't you so i think I, I, at the time i enjoyed it more for the fact it was a package and therefore you don't look too closely at any faults of any any given game yeah sure the original outrun appeared twice on original xbox uh, once on again in Shenmue 2 and also then again uh, as an unlockable in Outrun 2 which was a, an Xbox console exclusive uh, it didn't appear sadly in Outrun 2006 Coast to Coast uh, which would have meant that it appeared on the PSP and PS2 as well so it didn't uh, and in fact uh, it only came to PS3 and PS4 as part of Yakuza 0 in 2015 uh, I don't know how this works do you go into an arcade and play it maybe or something like that yeah, I think it's just like in uh, Shenmue. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously Yakuza is a sort of spiritual successor in, in many ways to Shenmue, although it's Nagoshi rather than uh, Suzuki, but um, that sort of open world martial arts doing real life things. I assume Yakuza 0 is a prequel set in the 80s. Is that how that is that how that works, I'm guessing? This is not the Yakuza show. Maybe there will be one someday if we can ever catch up with that entire series. Somewhat, some of it in Japan. So yeah, these um, unofficial sequels, this is according to Yu Suzuki, he only considers Outrun 2 to be the actual sequel uh, and presumably special tours and, and, and whatever else. But uh, yeah, Turbo Outrun. Now, this was a Sega AM2 coin-op. It arrived... Uh, just over two years after the original Outrun. Uh, there were home conversions, as I say, including a very well-received Commodore 64 version with a wonderful soundtrack by Jeroen Tell. Uh, and being a Sega gig, this also came to Master System and Mega Drive. Turbo Outrun, folks? Uh, yep, Master System and Mega Drive. Um, the Mega Drive version, I think I got as an ex-rental. And again, it's a conversion that's just about good enough, a bit like the first Outrun. You know, it's not... It's not a great version, not as good as it could have been for a, right. what you'd hope a Mega Drive could have done. Sure. Um, and the Master System version is a slightly different game. It's not. Yeah. It's not Turbo Outrun as we know it. It's um, uh, one of those sort of pseudo conversions, I suppose. 
Okay. Yeah. Where it's a, so, a slightly different game, sort of aligned to. Yeah, sure. This was late, late in the Master System's life. Uh, it would have been asking a lot. Turbo Outrun was um, it was released a, as a standalone cabinet, but you could also it, you could also uh, buy it as a, an upgrade kit for existing uh, Outrun cabs. But based on my experiences in arcades, not many arcade operators did that. Um, Turbo Outrun, I did see it around, and I definitely played it. Um, but it was harder to find uh, always, even when it was new, than the original Outrun. I think. And I think they perhaps uh, over-egged the pudding a bit with this one. Uh, added a few features that perhaps people didn't necessarily want from an outrun game mm. with the turbo boost and the mm. uh, and stuff like this, Ryan? Yeah, I played a little bit of this one. And this is a coast-to-coast United States uh, race, yeah. which I guess he went back on not finding the United States interesting enough. Although we took some... Uh, <laughs> Don't take some... it personally, Ryan. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> took some bizarre liberties with some of the places like a, a, a snowstorm in Atlanta, Georgia, if I remember correctly, yeah. which I don't think Some you would that. ever see in real no. life. But um, <laughs> yeah, regardless, uh, this really and I, I don't know if we're talking about like the legacy of this series, but like I uh, just kind of briefly played through this one uh, kind of at the same time that I was revisiting Need for Speed the Run which is a Need for Speed game that is another uh, coast-to-coast United States race, albeit going in the other direction. But uh, yeah, it really kind of made it clear that like that specific game and maybe even Ubisoft's The Crew were uh, Mm. pretty direct descendants from this uh this lineage of games yeah there were i mean this became quite a the, yeah quite a, a popular idea for a game i mean and turbo mm. outrun i think had took some of its influence influence inspiration from uh, chase hq and special mm. criminal investigation which i think was maybe around the same time slightly after slightly before i'm not sure uh, and similarly the next one that we're going to talk about battle outrun on the master system which is again a game i've not played don't know about you, Dan. Uh, this was, again, perhaps more Chase HQ inspired than OutRun inspired. Yeah, and the version of Chase HQ on the Master System um, isn't great. So um, no. I preferred this to Chase oh, HQ okay. on right. the system. It's nothing to do with OutRun at all, really. I don't know no. why they've given it the name. But um, yeah, I suppose because they couldn't call it, this is a ripoff of Chase HQ. Well, it's but, um, uh, marketing, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's a good little game, though. Uh, yeah, and talking of games that weren't given the outrun name uh radmobile Uh, i'm not even sure that i should have included this one but i felt like i really wanted to because it's by sega am2 it's by yu suzuki you drive a red ferrari uh and yeah radmobile or gale racer as it was known when it came to the saturn for some unknown reason because radmobile wasn't cool enough radmobile gale racer never talked about as part of the outrun lineage but it would have felt completely remiss of me to mention it uh, it has the hills it. type thing going on, doesn't it? And banking, yeah. like it, which feels like the sort of next level of the hills exactly. tech of the first one. Yeah. yeah, and it's got a little Sonic the Hedgehog air freshener swinging from the from the rearview mirror. So that's the best bit about the game, in my exactly. opinion. Exactly, exactly. Uh, slight outlier next. This was a home only game uh, by US Gold or by Probe for US Gold uh, to you know capitalize on the success of the of the license outrun Europa. So also uh, set in Europe. Um, This one, you start on a bike and I think at some points you go on a jet ski and you go through 
different cities in Europe. This was through for all the eight and sixteen bit computers, but also Game Gear and Master System. Uh, so I guess Sega let them use the name, and I think this was moderately well received on the whole. Maybe I, di- I didn't really enjoy it. No, I don't know. It, maybe I just felt that it was you um, just using the outrun name in a way that didn't feel appropriate or something. Maybe yeah, I was quite yeah. a pretentious child. You'd never guess. Which no, I, well, no, um, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still feel the same. Like when I think when Outrun Europa comes into my head, I think that's not a real Outrun game. Like R- Radmobile is more of an Outrun game to me than Outrun Europa is. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's by Yu Suzuki, uh, yeah. whereas whereas Probe, uh, you know, R.I.P. Fergus McGovern and all that, but uh, but really, um, this smacked of a sort of it might have even been a game they already had in development, and then they thought, do you know what we could do here? Uh, we could slap the uh, the old uh, the license on it. I don't know, but um, which version did you play? Master System or the Master System? Yeah, I borrowed it off a kid at school. I don't really remember that much about it, but no. I remember having it, well, playing it for a week or two, and not really well borrowing it for a week or two and not really playing it because i had outrun so yeah yeah well nice to mention it in our in our thoroughly uh, thorough way uh next up is now this is weird outrunners is by sega am1 uh so different you know different sega studio effectively um with uh yeah different musicians different tech different everything um multiplayer focused and you do still see this one around sometimes in the wild i saw one recently i can't remember where uh it was a because you could only get this in two-player cabinets and i think that's one of the reasons it didn't do terribly well because it was uh it was an investment of size and money for arcades uh but this was very, very much multiplayer focused i think mostly when daytona came along two years later and virtual racing the same year uh these mostly got stripped out but as i say that said you do occasionally still catch an outrunner's machine in the wild yeah so you've you've talked about it a little already uh ryan so this is drift happy multiplayer focused characters uh, and various other innovations there's a lot of uh, locations that you can race in in this one um it's kind of impressive how many different spots around the world that you can visit um i i wasn't a big fan of this one. Um, the multiplayer only nature kind of feels contrary to what I personally liked most about Outrun. But uh-huh. uh, it's a you know it's a serviceable sequel if you're into the more competitive side of things. Yeah, I, I really don't. I just think I skip past this every time I've seen it in the arcade. I don't know why. I don't um, think I ever saw it in the arcades very much over here. I don't. Maybe not many came to the UK or something. Yeah, I'm really struggling to remember where I would have seen it recently, but I definitely saw one not so long ago. Might have been Hampshire or somewhere. <laughs> anyway, uh, there was a Mega Drive port, which uh, which again was uh, slightly less than arcade perfect, but featured some extra bits and bobs. I think this was the one that had the Virtua, you could unlock the Virtua racing car and it had Sonic and Tails in it and stuff like that. The final game called Outrun up to this point was uh, not really an Outrun game at all. It was uh, dubbed, this was by Sims again, the Japanese company. It was dubbed Outrun 2019, which sounded incredibly futuristic in 1993. Uh, (laughs) It was originally being developed for the Mega CD or the Sega CD uh, as a game called Cyber Road. Uh, Ended up uh, going back over to the Genesis Mega Drive on cartridge and it was going to be called Junkers High. Uh, and then eventually it was released as the slightly more marketable Outrun 2019 to uh, fairly tepid reviews. I didn't think this one was that bad, though. Um, I mean, no. it's not not anything brilliant, but it's uh, it introduced some elevated roadways, which were I, I don't know if you could ever 
drop from a higher road to a lower road, that would have been kind of a cool way of making some mm. of those uh, decisions along the way as to what course mm. you want to take. But it definitely uh, has a bit more kick when you get thrown off the side of one of those and you can see your car kind of tumbling down a more kind of elevated um, and, but all the cars here max out at like 650 miles per hour. And so the, the speed right. is quite a bit higher, which means that each of those turns must just be miles and miles long. But um, regardless, yeah. it's, it, it has a fun kind of mechanic that sort of plays like a, uh, uh, like a midpoint between the boost mechanic in um, Turbo Outrun, which I actually kind of liked in that game. Um, you know, just gave you a little bit more mm. kind of kick as you went. Um, mm. But this one, you once you got to the top speed of the car, um, you'd see the little uh, the green to red, I don't know, heat meter or um, engine meter uh, kind of ramp up. And then once that was maxed out, it would begin filling again. And uh, once it got to the top of its like second bar, so to speak, uh, kind of like a jet engine propulsed you from the, from the back yeah. of your car and gave you a, a quite significant speed boost. And so... You were always kind of working up to that really difficult to maintain, but uh, um, quite uh, advantageous speed boost. Even your your top speed without the speed boost is nothing to scoff at. And of course, uh, this came at a time when the uh, 16 bits were starting to wind down and we were only a year or two away from the likes of uh, Wipeout on the fan- fancy new PlayStation. Um, and yeah, I don't think it was especially well received and again it's a game that's got outrun in the title but i'd say it's probably less of a legacy to the original outrun than uh, f355 challenge which is a sega am2 game starring a red ferrari directed by yu suzuki started in the arcades uh, came to dreamcast and later ps2 after a sega dropped out of the console market this was a game that i always thought looked fantastic but as i say i'd read that it was one of the most uh you know it was even more of a driving simulation than gran turismo was by some distance at this point and it made it sound very intimidating to somebody who doesn't know how to drive and isn't that interested in in driving but uh dan i imagine you would have had this at least did you did you get on with it um i didn't at all i've played uh a bit of it and it, again it was just not my kind of driving game sure um, I played it on uh, the Dreamcast and the PS2 um, just because not because I thought one would be any better than the other but just because I was a real Sega fan at the time yeah yeah and, exactly. uh, and uh, yeah neither of them sort of were my game in the slightest I mean it was interesting to see a game that was trying to be so technically yeah. like the driving of a car but um, mm. uh, yeah it doesn't have any kind of arcade feel no. it, like not part of that um, lineage in that way other than so, sort of it's the same de- developer obviously making a driving game yeah. but um, it doesn't have any feel of that so it's not really my kind of cup of tea so I can't really say too much for that it really was the real driving simulator uh, yeah it was like more of a successor to the aforementioned hard driving but without the silliness of uh, of the loop the loop and Alan the cow so yeah uh, other appearances, uh, as we like to mention in these roundups, uh, there's been a couple of um, cameos in sumo developed games, which makes sense because they handled uh, the conversions of Outrun 2. Uh, so Coconut Beach uh, makes an appearance in the tennis. Uh, Sega Superstars Tennis as a playable court and Outrun Bay uh, appears in Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed, but only as a download for those who purchased the bonus edition. I don't know if it's ever uh, become available to buy they normally do 
Uh, and there's a little appearance. I think that this isn't the only little outrun nod in Bayonetta, but there is a remix of Splash Wave uh, called the Climax Mix in, I think it's in the Afterburner type stage, isn't it? As I recall, but I think there's also a little snatch of outrun when they're in driving in a red car early in the yeah. game. Yeah. yeah, there definitely is another nod. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. they they play on the radio. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's various other appearances of Outrun in popular culture. Uh, I won't go through them all. You can look them up on uh, on Wikipedia. Um, but uh, look out for little glimpses of uh, Outrun in Donnie Darko. And uh, and yeah, if you go go on MT um, go on YouTube, there's an MTV. Uh, anti-drunk driving campaign, which uh, famously uses Outrun. So yeah, this brings us on back around to 3D Outrun. Uh, this is by our uh, beloved M2, the Japanese developer that specializes in uh, updated versions of old games, uh, sometimes of their own design and sometimes uh, remakes, and sometimes somewhere between the two. And this arrived in Japan in April 2014. We had to wait a year, pretty much, uh, for the European and North American release, and the Australians had to wait even longer than that. But finally, it came out. It was uh, it's a budget price download at around five pounds or some dollars, slightly more dollars. Ryan, any idea? Eight or nine dollars? I guess. It's been on sale for like three dollars for the past week or so. That doesn't really help anybody who's listening to the show, but uh... possibly not. Uh, so they added a couple of extra tracks uh, to choose from while playing Cruising Line by Manabu Namiki and Camino a Mi Amor by Jane Evelyn Nisperos, sometimes known as Chibi Tech. Uh, and they sound, I have to say, they although obviously they stick out because they're not from the original game, uh, they both sound, especially uh, Cruising Line, like they could have come from the original game, the original composer, uh, which is impressive in itself. Uh, so the, you've got the altered car here again, it, the, the whole Ferrari license thing got very confusing because some of the versions post the first version that they didn't have the real car in did have, and then outrun on online arcade came out and then it was taken off the store because the Ferrari license lapsed again. And uh, there, there seems to be some complexity around that. Obviously the 3D work here is actual 3D work. This was uh, this series of games, this M2 Sega 3D series on a new 3DS only is the only 3D that works for me. Uh, and it really does work. It's uh, the 3D on this game is like properly. It looks like it's coming out the screen at me. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's pretty striking. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't necessarily always want it switched on, but it's, it, it, yeah, it works. What more can I say? Uh, and yes, this also, this is comprehensive. It includes uh, both the Japanese and the overseas versions. Um, it's also got some uh, some unlockable uh, accessories you get by completing the game. You get different colored cars, which have different, um, what's the word, features, qualities mm -hmm. to make the game easier, grippy tires and various things like that. Uh, and as Ryan mentioned earlier, you've also got you've got multiple screen options, including the option to play simulated as if in an arcade on a cabinet. Dan, did you download this as when it finally hit the EU store? I haven't got a 3DS, and now you're making me really want to get one. So, um, man alive! Yeah, I think I'm going to need to do that. Um, I, I find the 3D effect beguiling, but I've only ever used it at Eurogamer Expo, okay. but I've never played one sort of outside of that environment. Um, but yeah, I. 
which makes you probably thinking, what? How have you not played a 3DS? But yeah, I just never sort yeah. of bumped into one. Um, I got a Vita at the sort of that sort of time, and then mm. sort of locked into into that kind of thing. So, um, but now you're making me really want to get one for this um, for all of these Sega 3D games. Well, guttingly, uh, you can't download Outrun 2006 on Vita. Uh, because yeah. the PSP version is not available to download. That is a real shame. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I can't recommend enough, the as a Sega fan, the 3D series uh, on the 3DS. If you can, get a new 3DS, you know, the N3DS. Yeah. If you can, in my opinion, get an XL because uh, they look absolutely fantastic on that screen. Any other thoughts on it? Um, I mean, just like you mentioned, I... Uh, I really love the 3D on just about any game that I can play on the console. And uh, this this game's 3D looks um, just about the best that you can hope for on the system. Uh, I mean, naturally, it's a little bit different than playing um, something that is composed of like 3D models, which might, which might make a little bit more kind of like a logical sense to your brain. But uh, yeah, it, it still looks great. And um, it feels like a... Uh, like a serviceable trade-off for having the game on a uh, much smaller screen than was intended. Like I still get a little bit of something that'll blow my mind, even if it's not on the uh, fully uh, decked out um, sit-down cabinet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the, the whole 2D works in 3D thing um, really rings true here. Uh, I think it's so, you know, I don't understand the techniques that developers use to, to make 3D happen on that particular uh, setup that, that that is the 3ds 3d screen but it seems to vary quite a lot in terms of effectiveness from game to game and i don't know whether that's purely down to the nature of the game or whether it's down to the quality of the coding or the, the attention to detail they pay but what i will say is that m2 are absolutely known for their attention to detail and the 2d in looking great in 3d things seems to really ring true here and that that runs across all the 3D games I've played. So Afterburner, Galaxy Force and Space Harrier all kind of pop out the screen at you. And uh, and they're all, you know, absolutely just pristinely accurate versions. And even, you know, some of the, the things that maybe, you know, people are a little critical of the 3DS for, which is that the, like the screen looks increasingly low res as things like uh, smartphones um, get higher and higher resolution. Um, but, when you're playing a 1980 Sega coin-op, the resolution is, you know, it's it's the same as mm, or beyond yeah. what the original game was anyway. So uh, so you don't have that whole kind of thing. It looks, to me, it looks incredibly vibrant and, and pristine. So, uh, yeah, we had a couple of correspondences to the forum, canorince.com slash forum, uh, specifically about this version. Evil Ninja Phil says, Outrun was a game changer, a monolithic titan that towered over the arcades and entranced all of us lucky to be around when it first landed but I want to talk about why the 3DS version amazed me because playing that game with the 3D full on makes it like how I thought it was when I was young. To explain, we all have these memories of video games of how they looked, the colours and everything that blew our minds. Then you go back and actually play them and the game barely has 16 colours and the resolution is really bad and you can see the sprite flicker and everything. Then a game like the 3DS version of Outrun comes along and that's it. That's what it looked like when I played it. It was the same way I felt with Geometry Wars. At its heart, the art design of the game wasn't a million miles away from vector-based arcade games, only it ladled on the particle effects so that it looked like how we pictured those games in our minds when we first played them. 
I thought nothing would have come close to being eight years old, barely able to reach the cabinet, properly tearing down those roads after a blue sky that always remained just out of reach. And then somehow they managed to get that same feeling, that rush on a handheld console. Bravo, M2. Bravo. Gaio Pinto also. I had never played Outrun before. And while I had heard somewhere that there were branching paths and a good soundtrack, I didn't know much about it. Arcades had become a lot more niche by the time I got interested in games, and though the Chuck E. Cheese near my house had a cruise in USA and a San Francisco rush, I'd never seen an outrun cabinet in the wild. I picked it up on the 3DS, expecting to play it for a few hours and put it aside. Instead, I got addicted to the intense checkpoint-chasing gameplay loop. I tried to set the time limit and the difficulty setting to what it would have been in the arcade, and the result was that I always just barely made it to the checkpoint in time, or just barely missed it. This was incredibly fun and led me doing mental calculations like, I've got 12 seconds left and I'm at the forking road, so I probably won't make it this time. I also like how crashing is so punitive that you have to downshift around certain turns, but if you stay in the low gear for too long, you'll never make the next checkpoint. The risk reward is really engaging. Lastly, the 3DS version from M2 is awesome. It's very pretty, the soundtrack is still great, and they add some really nice touches. My favourite was that you can set it so that when you're taking hard turns, the screen will swing to the side. This perfectly recreates the experience of moving your body to turn the wheel in the arcade cabinet and changing your point of view in the process. The original gameplay is still really fun in 2016, and the new 3DS editions make the package even more attractive. I would highly recommend OutRun. Seems to echo your sentiments, Ryan. Uh, next up, on a more general sense about the game OutRun, we have uh, Alex79UK, who says, OutRun was brilliant. It still is. I have nothing but fun memories of visiting arcades, which didn't happen much as a kid, only really when we were on holiday in the summer, and seeing what to my, mu uh, to my young mind was a full-scale replica of a Ferrari and begging my parents for coins to have a go on it. Sit-down driving cabs were always a treat to play, and I remember my parents protesting that the game was over in a matter of seconds due to my complete ineptitude at skillfully negotiating the course. But it didn't matter. It was a fantastic feeling sitting in that seat, holding onto the leather wheel, only just being able to reach the pedals. I mean, we were just happy sitting in it, watching the attract mode play and pretending to drive half the time. The graphics were so bold and bright, the game really stood out from the rest of the arcade, and not only because of the huge cabinet and screen, they just looked like this amazing sun-kissed place we'd probably never be able to go. Even as a kid, I remember thinking it would be brilliant to be actually driving this car down the west coast of America, an 80s pin-up blonde sat next to you. And the music. I still listen to it now. In fact, I have Magical Sound Shower as the ringtone on my phone. I own many of the home conversions over the years on the Amstrad, the Sega Master System and Mega Drive, and they were mostly pretty good, but nothing ever really compared to the arcade thrills of actually sitting in the car. The game has actually held up really well. I used to organise MAME contests on another forum a couple of years back, and OutRun was the chosen game one week. A whole bunch of us had a whale of a time trying to get as far as we could, and it really does keep bringing you back in for one more go. OutRun, one of the all-time greats, no doubt. I love it. And finally for correspondence, uh, we have what I have to say is one of my favourite pieces of correspondence that we have had to cane and rinse thus far. From uh, a new poster, I believe, possibly signed up specifically to tell us this tale, uh, and I apologise in advance for the mangling of the pronunciation of a Welsh resort. This is from Guernica2, who says, If I had to choose one game to play for the rest of my life, it wouldn't be outings from the Witcher series, Mass Effect, Elder Scrolls, or some other deeply involving RPG. It would be Outrun, the one game to rule them all. 
The handling of the car, coupled with an amazing sense of speed, makes this game just as playable today as it was back in the 80s. The music is incredible. The alternative choice of route and the fact that you're not racing anyone, just driving, makes for an incredibly relaxing and joyful experience. Even when I fail a stage, I don't feel any sense of failure. It's an amazing achievement and one I rarely find in games. A perfect 10 minutes of gaming perfection. A perfect piece of digital gaming nirvana. I can't remember whether I played it first in the arcade in 1986, but I think I must have done, otherwise I wouldn't have fallen in love with the conversion for the Spectrum in 87. In comparison to that version, the Master System port felt like the arcade. I couldn't stop playing it. Roll into the summer of 1988. Butlins. Prichwelli? <laughs> North Wales? Apologies. A two-week holiday with my mum and brother, our first since my father had passed away. In one of the two arcades on site, one had the large sit-down hydraulic outrun cabinet. Armed with my paper round savings, I played Operation Wolf, Shinobi, and of course Outrun daily. I'd never finished it in the arcade before, but I knew the courses and always came close. Then it happened, my greatest video game achievement. With a can of pop between my legs and radio station selected, I cruised through the five stages and finished on ending D. Absolute bliss. I entered my initials, then turned my head and to my horror realised about 15 people had crowded round the machine watching my triumph. Being a shy 15-year-old, I quickly jumped from the machine and sidled through the crowd into obscurity, feeling like a god. Some years later, I picked it up on the Mega Drive, then of course on the Saturn, which I feel is pretty close to being arcade perfect. I even enjoyed playing it on the GBA, and have to admit that the 3DS version is stunning. I've always had a lifelong dream of converting my Saturn version into a sit-down cabinet. Not hydraulic, of course, and would uh, be able to spend my retirement playing Outrun in my shed, but that changed a few years ago while perusing eBay. Someone was selling a beaten-up Outrun Deluxe stand-up unit, so I bought it. They're certainly not rare in the wild, but I'd never thought of actually owning a proper arcade machine. Having no knowledge of the intricacies of arcade units, I decided to build myself a jammer cabinet, which is currently wired up in my spare room with Street Fighter Alpha 2. The Outrun restoration is still ongoing, and I still need to source a few parts, but one day I will finish it. The one thing that did surprise me about the steering mechanism is how incredibly industrial it is, but then it has lasted 30 years and was built as such and will hopefully last longer than I will. In 2014, I was lucky enough to be able to take a month off work and drive all the way across America with my wife. From the leafy groves in New York State, past the Great Lakes of Ohio, through the deserts of Nevada and onto the stunningly beautiful coastline of California. I know the first outrun is technically set in Europe, but with all the constantly changing scenery, there wasn't a moment of that 4,000 mile drive where magical sound shower wasn't playing in my mind. I cannot tell if my adoration for this game comes from a sense of a certain place and time in my youth before the struggles of adult life began. What I do know is that I'm still playing it to this day and is the one thing that I shall never be without. That's got it all. It's got the arcade machine. It's got the trip across America. I remember seeing, uh, I was driving in France with my girlfriend and she does the driving and I wagged my finger at her. Uh, <laughs> we roll reverse from the original Outrun, but we were, we were driving down some of these lush French roads, could have been out of Outrun, you know, wide lanes and, uh, and sweeping arcs around mountains and convertible Ferrari red Testarossa went past us with two guys in. And I just knew I knew that they were probably about my age and they were, they were like, we're doing Outrun. What, what are we doing this summer? Let's hire a car and we'll do Outrun. We'll go across Europe in a, in a red convertible Ferrari. Yeah, fantastic. 
Uh, yeah, thanks for that correspondence. Marvellous. And thank you also for our uh, handful this week of uh, three word reviews at Cana Rinse. Listen out or look out for those on the day of recording. Start with Dan. Eric Jones says, still can't drive. Quasimod says, impossible track geography. Andrew Brown, road racing realism. Linksud says, smooth drifting jazz. And Gayo Pinto says, it holds up wonderfully. Thank you, one and all. And uh, now to summarise uh, your outrun experience, a uh, rather shorter time period mm-hmm. for Ryan. Um, but uh, yeah, fascinating nonetheless. And would you recommend that people seek out a version of it at all? What do you think, Ryan? I really enjoyed my time with it. It's unless you are really like going and diving deep into the history of video games. I don't know if it's an essential purchase for anybody, but I found it to be a very pleasant experience. Um, I like just driving around and exploring these different routes and just seeing what there is to see. Um, and, you know, I found the gameplay to be even so many years later, still, uh, still engaging. Um, yeah, it, it probably doesn't have the same ability to completely blow your mind. Like a, uh, state of the art racing game would these days with their lush graphics and, um, you know, detailed environments and stuff. But, I think that it still does maintain a certain charm and the uh, mechanics are still very solid and it's a, a nice game to play on a, uh, you know, sunny Sunday morning or something like that. So yeah, I'd give it a good thumbs up there. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. So obviously my experience is, uh, is 30 years of this game and colored with nostalgia uh, and yeah, having played multiple versions on and off. But the fact is that it is a game that uh, I do still enjoy to play. I don't just play for uh, pure nostalgia rush. Uh, once I start playing it, I get into the mechanics. Um, it has an enormous amount of um, charm, but also it's got uh, a great feel. You know, it's uh, it's got a cool uh, set of mechanics that make it, uh, make it very Moorish um, and... Uh, there's room for skill there's room for uh, to demonstrate your ability on the game certainly if you uh, if you don't sort of ease off too much on the don't you know if you resist the temptations on the home versions to um, to make it easier by by reducing the traffic or uh, uh, setting the time limits you've still got a a very challenging game and um, yeah it was it's definitely an important game historically uh, it's a game that's uh, extremely i think well remembered uh well remembered both in the sense of uh fondly remembered but also uh it's a game that hasn't been forgotten at all i don't think uh although uh, having said that the slight lack of kind of different uh, numbers of correspondence for for this podcast sort of surprised me a bit because uh, i i thought maybe outrun was a bit more legendary than it is maybe it's just because it's a bank holiday monday at the time of recording um but yeah, it was a game that, uh, although I, I'd already seen the sprite scaler technology and that had already uh, dropped my jaw, this was a game that used it in a way that uh, started to convince me of the the possible quality of real world simulations. I know it seems crazy when it's this arcade racer, but again, going back to 1986 and driving that opening stage and seeing the windsurfers off the off the coast actually made me think that this was a game that was part of a wider world. Whereas normally when you were playing uh, a game up to this point, it was, you know, it was just advertising hoardings and, and barriers around the side of the track. This felt like it was taking place on some kind of, you know, actual totally heightened reality, ridiculous, you know, blue skies. Uh, and uh, And as we've, as we've heard, insane geography, but 
but a convincing um, or coherent world anyway. And um, yeah, it's a game I have an enormous amount of affection for. The soundtrack is legendary and it's certainly a game I think people should check out. Uh, support M2 because their work is amazing and important. And uh, if you do have a 3DS, uh, and why wouldn't you? Uh, you can't really go wrong with the downloadable eShop version for just a handful of pounds. And let's conclude with our guest, Dan. It's one of those games that, for me, was why I fell in love with Sega. I think I'd played Hang On, but I was a too small a child to be able to control the bike properly. I, I fell off of it. It was huge. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, it was gigantic. Find and, the um, glass I, bike. Yeah. If I if it went to one side, I like I didn't have the strength to be able to sort of do anything about it because I was like yeah a child, so yeah. it didn't really work. So uh, Outrun was the first one, oh, well other than Space Harrier, that I could really um, enjoy for its for its own sake, and I really fell in love with this um, the sprite scaler stuff. I mean, it was somewhat the zenith of um, arcade technology, I suppose at the time. Um, it yeah. was Sega being um, sort of showing off, but without being especially brash or arrogant with it. Like there was always a sort of lightness to what they were doing but um, it had like the the music was about the best FM tech that you're going to hear anywhere with with great composition as well and that combined with with graphics like I'd never seen it was um, it was just a piece of magic yeah there's just a sort of a magic that I don't think as you said at the beginning I don't think we'll capture that again the, the, the seeing something that you haven't seen before a, a leap in tech that um, that is genuinely jaw-dropping um, and for that even though I haven't played it myself I'd all I can do is say that I'm going to get the 3DS version and it sounds like anyone else should do much the same. Nice one. Okay, so this is a public service announcement. Um, following following these recommendations, uh, we just looked at the Sega 3D Classics Collection um, cartridge. And while I would still recommend it as something to buy, it doesn't contain Outrun. Uh, so uh, we talked about Power Drift and that's on it. Um, as is uh, Thunderblade and Galaxy Force 2. Those were also sprite scaler machines. Uh, it also has Puyo Puyo 2, uh, Fancy Zone 2W, uh, Altered Beast, the much maligned, and the original Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, but you can download from the uh, eShop Afterburner 2, uh, Space Harrier, Outrun, of course, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, as well as 1, Streets of Rage 2, which we uh, wouldn't have talked about on the Streets of Rage Kane and Rinse podcast because it wasn't out then. But uh, as with Gunstar Heroes, which we did talk about, that version of Streets of Rage 2 um, is absolutely right up there with the uh, with the Sega Vintage Collection packs that I mentioned. Public service announcement over. Basically, if you want 3D Outrun because you've listened to this podcast, you just need to download it from the eShop. Simple as that. So uh, it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Ryan and Dan and to tell you that next time in issue 238, the by turns breathtaking and brutal world of Grand Theft Auto V and GTA Online. (laughs) 